Hi, this is James Rustad, starring as Bernie Sanders in I Want to Tax Billionaires So Bad. I want to tax billionaires so bleeping bad. I would make them pay their fair share. I want to be on the cover of Nation magazine. Smiling next to Obama and Hillary. Cause every time I close my eyes, Bernie Sanders is in shining lights. Yeah. A different rally every night. Oh, why? I where the fathers should prepare for Bernie's president. Yo, I would redistribute wealth to those in need. Never would I be motivated by greed. Single payer health care, I get right on it. Feed the hungry babies who ain't never had shh. Break up the banks that are too big to fail. Wall Street gamblers, I'll be hot on the trail. I'll fight hard against income inequality. Universities and colleges will all be free. Citizens United, you know it's gotta go. To bad trade agreements, I will always say no. Expand Social Security and Medicare. And that was James Rustad singing... I want to tax billionaires so bad, which you can find on YouTube, or you can follow James Rustad on Twitter at James Rustad Song. And we will hear more from James Rustad at the end of the program. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie's campaign for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. You can find out more about Bernie 2016 at Bernie-2016.com. You can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. If you are a Flipboard user, you can follow my magazine in Flipboard called Bernie for President, where I capture a lot of the articles and stories that I share here and a lot more. Uh, or you can also check out a link to that Flipboard magazine on Bernie-2016.com. Thanks for listening. So Bernie has continued in his pretty consistent campaign and his consistent direction of drawing very, very large crowds to come out and hear his him speak and hear his message. Uh, he has, over the last weekend, drawn his largest crowd to date, and that was a crowd in Phoenix, Arizona. And the Huffington Post had this brief article about that, starting with a quote from Bernie Sanders. Quote, somebody told me Arizona is a conservative state. Somebody told me the people here are giving up on the political process. That is not what I see here tonight. And that's how Sanders led off his speech at the Phoenix Convention Center. He is, according to the story, making good on his promise to campaign in not only early primary states like Iowa and New Hampshire, but also in red states where Democrats have not had success in recent presidential elections. 
He was also scheduled to hold rallies in Houston and Dallas on Sunday of this past weekend as well. And those were also very, very well attended events. I think I have a story coming up on those. So this story from politicususa.com titled Bernie Sanders delivers a lone star smash as 13,200 supporters rock Texas swing. The myth that America is made up of only red and blue was smashed by Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, who drew 13,200 supporters during two campaign stops in Republican-dominated Texas. In Houston, Sanders brought up the death last Monday of Sandra Bland, a young African-American woman found dead in her Waller County jail cell, 60 miles northwest of Houston. The 28-year-old from suburban Chicago had been arrested July 10 after a routine traffic stop. The medical examiner said her death was a suicide. Her family disputes the finding. Quote, I wish that in the year 2015, I could tell you that we have eliminated racism in our country, but you all know that is not true, Sanders said. Inciting the death of Bland, Sanders also mentioned other recent deaths of African Americans in police custody. Eric Garner died one year ago after a New York City police officer put him in a chokehold. Freddie Gray was a 25-year-old African American who died last April while being transported in a Baltimore police van. Tamir Rice was 12 years old when he was shot and killed in 2014 by two police officers in Cleveland, Ohio. Quote, these are the cases that you have heard about recently, but anyone who thinks that this has not been going on a decade, not been going on decade after decade would be very wrong, Sanders said. It is unacceptable that police officers beat up people or kill people. If they do that, they have got to be held accountable. So that was a little bit of Sanders' speech in Houston. Sanders covered some similar topics in his speech in Phoenix. And this article from rawstory.com by Tom Boggioni. Following his town hall style appearance at Netroots Nation that could have gone better, and that could have gone better is kind of an understatement, and we will get into that a little bit more of that in just a bit. Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders told a packed house in Phoenix that although the country has made great strides in race relations, quote, we still have a long way to go. Before a fervent crowd that Sanders campaign spokesperson estimated at over 11,000, he took time to switch gears from his message of economic populism to address the concerns of Black Lives Matters, protesters who disrupted his talk earlier. Quote, it is not acceptable that an African-American male baby born today, if we do not change things, stands a one in four chance of being in prison during his life, the Vermont Independent told the crowd. He continued, it is not acceptable to me that we have seen young black men walk down streets in this country 
be beaten and be killed unjustly. That is not acceptable. Most police officers, and I was a mayor for eight years, and I worked with police officers. It's a tough job. Most cops do it well. But when a police officer breaks the law, that officer must be held accountable. So those were some of the portions of Bernie's speech that covered some of the more current uh, racial situations in the United States or some of the ongoing racism that still exists and that black people face every day in the United States. There has been a fair amount of criticism of Bernie's campaign because of his lack of emphasis on ongoing racism in the United States. And I think that in some cases that is justified. And I think that Bernie has not clearly and loudly spoke to the specific issues that many in the black community are raising. Um, But I do think of all the candidates running that Sanders has one of the best records in the past and in current actions taken in support of the black community. Um, And I think that the other candidates in the race also don't raise these issues to the extent that a lot of people would like to see. So there was an event and rally at Netroots Nation in Phoenix before this uh, large rally that Bernie had with 11,000. This was a separate event. Um, There were uh, multiple candidates... Well, there were two candidates that were present, Martin O'Malley and Bernie Sanders, on this particular day. Um, Elizabeth Warren had spoken the day before to the conference and had a very successful and well-regarded speech there. The conference itself had some flaws in its... Well, had some, yeah, I'll call them flaws, flaws in its uh, agenda and its focus because it was being held in Phoenix. The people managing the conference um, wanted to focus on immigration, which is all well and good, but really in that focus, focused fairly exclusively on Hispanic and Latin immigration issues um, to the exclusion of any other immigration issues. That in part spurred some protests. Um, But the other reason the protests occurred was it was a good venue with presidential candidates appearing and the people behind Black Lives Matter 
really saw a good opportunity to get their issue out to a crowd that was generally more receptive than they might get at other events. So while Martin O'Malley was speaking at that event, um, a number of people from Black Lives Matter and, and I think from another group as well came into the room and started to speak out. Um, one of those people went up onto the stage and took a microphone and, and was not stopped from doing so and began to chant and ask questions and really try to get the point of this group across to everyone. Um, it, it was very disruptive of what was going on, but I think that it was a good venue and a good opportunity to get their points out and points across and they get their points across directly to people who are running for president. And I think it was an extraordinarily successful protest because the vast majority of the coverage of O'Malley and Sanders at this event focused on the protest itself and maybe unfortunately on the tactics more than on the message, but also did get the message across at least somewhat. So O'Malley was on stage when the protest started up and he, his time on stage eventually lapsed and he, he departed and Bernie Sanders came on stage kind of in the midst of while the protest was still going on. And he faced very similar, very pointed questions, chants. Um, it was certainly disruptive to the message that he wanted to get across to the crowd. He did not, uh, it was not his, his finest hour. And I've seen at least one other instance where faced by uh, vociferous um, protesters in a crowd of his, he gets impatient with that type of speech. And at Netroots Nation, he did, in fact, say, you know, if if you don't want me to be here, then I can leave. He didn't leave immediately, but he did leave early and did not attend some of his other previously scheduled meetings on that day. And that was the same day that he went that evening to his rally, which drew the largest crowds ever um, for this cycle of the, the presidential campaign. So it's kind of the background on what happened at Netroots Nation. I think that the protesters are right on for raising their issues. I think that the racism that exists in our country today needs this vociferous and, and constant um, pushback or it won't change. And I think that a, a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters, and I'm a huge Bernie Sanders supporter, a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters took offense to the protest, took offense to, I think, to the message of the protest, which I think is very unfortunate. I think the, the message is should be loud and clear. And I think that people who support Bernie Sanders, by and large, should be 
at least sympathetic to the message of the protesters. Sometimes it's hard when something that you really, really believe in gets attacked directly. Um, But I think if Bernie Sanders supporters and fans will step back and consider the message and consider that that Bernie is good on this issue. Bernie has a good track record on fighting racism. And it's an ongoing track record on fighting racism. These things that I previously mentioned him raising in his Phoenix speech and raising in his his Houston speech are things he has said before in this campaign for the most part. I, I don't know if I don't believe he had specifically spoken about the young woman in Texas who died in police custody. And I don't have her name memorized, so I am looking it back up. I think it was Sandra, but give me a second to find that again, because I do want to say it clearly. Yeah, Sandra Bland. I, he, he had not, to my knowledge, and, and I could absolutely been mis- be mistaken, spoken specifically of Sandra Bland and her death um, in police custody in Texas, um, which had happened only about a week before. Um, But he has spoken about the horrible reality that black people get stopped by police for walking down the street. He has spoken against that. He has spoken clearly and loudly after the church shooting in Charleston, immediately calling it a racist act and a terrorist act. And in where he had an opportunity to reach out to his supporters and his followers and talk about and, and, use that situation to raise the issues and use that situation to gather more support for himself. He actually reached out to all of his followers and all of the people who had made donations to Bernie Sanders. And he asked them for donations to be made, not to his campaign. He sent a message out to all of his previous uh, donators, previous uh, individuals who had donated to his campaign and asked them to donate to the church to help their recovery after that event. I th- I think Sanders is in the right place on these issues. I think that the vast majority of Sanders' economic plans and economic policies will benefit the middle and lower classes a great deal and will will benefit the poor a great deal and will will benefit blacks and hispanics and other minority groups who disproportionately suffer in our economic system i think those policies will help those groups a great deal i think that he needs to understand what the 
protesters and others who believe in and feel and experience those things that they are talking about, those issues that they are raising. He needs to listen to that. He needs to understand that. He needs to be clear and he needs to be loud about where he stands. And, you know, Bernie is not one who is going to flip-flop and not one who's going to change his position based on what other people believe he should think and say. But I think that the protesters, while they didn't get the immediate response in the moment that would have galvanized them towards Bernie Sanders, being more supportive of Bernie Sanders, I think they got a relatively quick response. I think Bernie clearly changed his message and added to his message and beefed up his message in Phoenix and in Houston and on Twitter where he did reach out uh, with some tweets on the subject as well. I think that Bernie's, despite the disarray that can be seen from the specific event at Netroots Nation and a lot of the follow-up on Twitter by many varied people and interest groups, I think that Bernie's campaign will be strengthened because I think Bernie's message is loud and clear on, well, maybe it's not loud enough and not clear enough yet, but I do think that his message is clear and his support for the right policies is clear. Um, One of the policies that he supports that I think is impactful to the black community is um, supporting uh, reinstating the Voting Rights Act, which was in place and was very beneficial to people who might otherwise struggle or be interfered with in attempting to cast their votes. Um, And Sanders came out, you know, quite a while back saying that he wanted to reinstate the Voting Rights Act. So those types of policies, even though it's common for many people that support Sanders to repeat what Sanders has, has said in the past, that he marched with Martin Luther King, which he certainly did. He was arrested for protesting segregation and fighting against that in Chicago when he was a student, and he absolutely did that as well. But as many have said, that is that is good. We appreciate that that was done, but that was a long time ago from now, and we need action now, and we need to know what you stand for now, and we need to know if you want me to vote for you, I need to know that you believe in the issues that are important to me. So I look forward to Sanders getting that message out louder and more clearly going forward because I think that that message will resonate 
with the people who want to hear more from him about where he stands. So let's move on to some other issues now in the campaign uh, from opposingviews.com. Senator Bernie Sanders voices support for Iran's nuclear deal. Presidential candidates from both sides of the aisle have been offered their take on the nuclear deal with Iran, but few were more enthusiastic than Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. I congratulate President Obama, Secretary Kerry, and the leaders of other major nations for producing a comprehensive agreement to prevent Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon, he said in a statement on his congressional website. Quote, this is a victory for diplomacy over saber-rattling and could keep the United States from being drawn into another never-ending war in the Middle East. I look forward to learning more about the complex details of this agreement to make sure that it is effective and strong. Another of Bernie Sanders' major key elements in his economic plan for America is focused around youth employment. So as such, Bernie has sponsored legislation to try to tackle in part that issue. So this information is from a fact sheet on the Employ Young Americans Now Act. At a time when the youth unemployment rate is over 17% and the African-American youth unemployment rate is over 27%, we have got to do everything we can to make sure that young Americans have the jobs they need to pay for a college education and move up the economic ladder. The Employ Young Americans Now Act that will be introduced in the Senate by Senator Sanders will provide $5.5 billion in immediate funding to employ 1 million young Americans in summer and year-round jobs and will provide hundreds of thousands of young Americans with the job training and skills they need for the jobs of the future. Under the Employ Young Americans Now Act, the U.S. Department of Labor would provide $4 billion in grants to states and local governments to one, provide summer and year-round employment opportunities for low-income youth with direct links to academic and occupational learning. And two, provide important services such as transportation or child care necessary to enable young Americans to participate in job opportunities. And the fact sheet goes on to discuss some of the other elements of the plan, including how states would need to measure and justify or track how and where the money is spent. So that's a few little tidbits about the plan itself. And there has been a lot said pro and con around the proposal. And here is a piece by David Weigel from Bloomberg.com. The Employ Young Americans Now Act is a sort of legislation that would have struggled even in a Democratic Congress. In a capital controlled by Republicans, 
it might as well propose taxing churches to pay for sex reassignment surgeries on a moon base. The legislation introduced by Michigan Representative John Conyers would create a $5.5 billion fund, $4 billion earmarked for the employment of people between 16 and 24, $1.5 billion for job training grants. There are no pay-fors. It would ask a Congress that is dead set against big government to employ people with the help of big government. Yet the bill's Senate sponsor is Vermont's Bernie Sanders. That matters quite a lot in June of 2015. On Thursday morning, Sanders joined Conyers on a visit to the HOPE Project in southeast Washington. The presidential candidate toured a small but busy office located above a strip mall that had successfully trained 375 people in the IT field and seen 315 of those people get jobs that paid an average of $42,000, far above the median income locally. 93% of graduates were African American, and when Sanders entered a computer room, pausing to greet every student, the only white faces belonged to journalists and staffers. The room was crowded with TV cameras and iPhones, some pointed at four words on the wall. Quote, Harvard of the Hood. In America now, we spend ne nearly $200 billion on public safety, including $70 billion on correctional facilities each and every year, said Sanders from the front of the room. So let me be very clear. In my view, it makes a lot more sense to invest in jobs, in job training, and in education than in spending incredible amounts of money on jails and law enforcement. So that was Sanders rolling out his plan for youth jobs and for supporting those which he has brought up in the Senate. And here's another piece about it from politicususa.com. A bit of good news came out of the Senate today as Senator Bernie Sanders announced that his youth jobs bill has advanced and will be added to the Senate's immigration reform bill. Senate leaders announced today that Senator Bernie Sanders planned to spend $1.5 billion, creating jobs for 400,000 young people aged 16 to 24, has been added to the immigration bill. Senator Sanders said, At a time when real unemployment is close to 14% and even higher among young people and minorities, it is absolutely imperative that we create millions of decent-paying jobs in our country. Theoretically, Senator Sanders should have bipartisan support. It is not a government mandate, but a grant program that would give the states extra money for job training and creation. It is a practical plan that guarantees every state grant money to help them solve the problem of youth unemployment. As I wrote when the plan was first proposed, the bill is modeled after the Stimulus and President Obama's American Jobs Act. The Youth Jobs Act would provide $3 billion to create hundreds of thousands of jobs for the country's low income and economically disadvantaged young people. The legislation would also provide skills and job training. All states would receive a minimum of $15 million for summer and year-round jobs. The rest of the funding would be used to target areas of high youth unemployment and 
poverty. So because this is a an important part of our or important issue in our current economic system, Sanders isn't the only one supporting the only presidential candidate supporting programs to help youth employment. And Hillary Clinton has a proposal of her own. This story from the Associated Press by Meg Kennard and Lisa Lehrer. Taking aim at unemployment among younger Americans, Hillary Rodham Clinton on Wednesday proposed using tax credits to encourage businesses to train young people. Speaking at a technical college in South Carolina, Clinton proposed giving businesses a tax credit of $1,500 for each apprentice they hire. The program, she said, is focused on workers at all stages of life, not just high school students like the one who introduced her at her speech at the school. Clinton's campaign said the tax credit proposal would require accountability for employment and earnings outcomes for businesses receiving the credit. Apprentices would need to be registered to be eligible. Clinton presided over a similar project at her family's foundation called Job One, which aimed to help young people ages 16 to 24 who were out of high school and unemployed. The initiative worked with companies like The Gap, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Marriott to train and hire young people. And I talk here about Hillary Clinton's plan to help fight the same issue that Sanders is raising because her program and her solution is so different from the solution put forward by Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders wants to provide money to the states to so the states can then help support programs you know, state and local programs that will provide jobs for young people. Hillary Clinton wants to provide money to major corporations so they will hire more young people as apprentices. And and I just think that that difference speaks volumes of what Clinton is about versus Sanders or, or anybody else, to be honest. Clinton's go-to plan and go-to solution is to provide tax breaks for major corporations to do the right thing. It's, it's why major corporations don't pay their fair share of taxes because they find dozens of ways and dozens of tax loopholes set up for them some sometimes for for positive reasons the goal here is good but i just don't believe in the method these major corporations are already going to employ young people they're already going to have summer interns and temporary summer help um come in they do that already so we're giving them money now to do largely what they already do. And I think the approach is just the wrong approach to try to resolve the issue.
So a story from alternet.org from Stephen Rosenfeld. Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and Martin O'Malley gave half-hour speeches at the National Council of La Raza's annual convention in Kansas City. While Clinton spoke with familiarity to an audience she's long known, it was Sanders whose speech was the most riveting, drawing twice as many applause interruptions as Clinton's. Sanders' speech to the nation's largest Latino civil rights organization was notable because he confronted the, quote, stain of racism, his father's immigrant experience, and his impoverished upbringing. And he went into greater detail than Clinton about what federal government could and should do to create more dignity and economic security for individuals and families. Many pundits have written that Sanders has a problem addressing audiences of color because he comes from a nearly all-white Vermont. But Sanders' La Raza speech shows that he can deeply connect with Latino audiences. What follows is a transcript of excerpts from his remarks that prompted 45 applauses and a concluding standing ovation. And this particular story does go through a large number of his remarks to that particular audience, noting all of the areas where there were breaks for applause as he laid out his plan and laid out his program and spoke to the issues of the day. But instead of me going further into that and reading to you what Sanders had to say, let's hear an excerpt from that speech. America becomes a greater nation, a stronger nation, when we stand together as one people, and in a very loud and clear voice, we say no to all forms of racism and bigotry. Today, today we have 11 pe million people in this country who are undocumented, 99% of whom came to this country to improve their lives, to escape oppression, to flee desperate poverty and violence. Let us be frank. Today's undocumented workers play an extraordinarily important role in our economy. Undocumented workers are doing the extremely difficult work of harvesting our crops, building our homes, cooking our meals, and caring for our children. They are part of the fabric of America. Let me also be very clear that people came to this country because they knew that there were jobs here. And if anyone thinks that employers, employers throughout this country, did not know that the workers they were hiring were undocumented, they know nothing about what has gone on in this country for 50 years. So that people can have the protection of the law and participate fully and openly in American society. The Senate bill contained the provisions of the DREAM Act, which I strongly support and which would offer the opportunity of permanent residency and eventual citizenship to young people who are brought to the United States as children. It is my belief that we should recognize the young men and women who comprise the dreamers for what they are, 
American kids who deserve the right to legally be in the country they know as home. I believe the pathway to citizenship was unnecessarily linked to border security triggers, measures that many believe were put in place so that the path to citizenship would be delayed or even denied for the millions of undocumented individuals here, and I want to change those provisions. We must be aggressive in pursuing policies that are humane and sensible and that keep families together. And while millions of Americans are working longer hours for lower wages, there is another reality that we have got to put on the table. Is, and that is that almost all of the new wealth and income being created in America today in the last many years has gone to the top 1%. And that's wrong. It is not acceptable that we have today the highest rate of income and wealth inequality at a time when millions of Americans work longer hours for lower wages and we have the highest rate of childhood poverty of any major country on earth. It is not acceptable that youth unemployment in this country has reached tragic proportions. The Economic Policy Institute recently told us that if you look at young people from 17 to 20 who are either unemployed or working part-time when they want to work full-time or have given up looking for work for white kids, that number is 33%. For Hispanic kids, it is 36%. For African-American kids, it is 51%. That is unacceptable. And maybe, just maybe, instead of building more jails and locking up more people, maybe, just maybe, we should be investing in jobs and education for our young people. I want America to be known as the country with the best educated population in the world, not the country with more people in jail than any other country. And that was an excerpt from the speech that Bernie gave to the National Council of La Raza's annual convention in Kansas City. And a story now from Andrew Prokop at Vox.com. Amazingly enough, long-shot presidential contender Bernie Sanders has raised more money for his campaign than any Republican has in the first half of this year. His team says 250,000 donors have given to the Sanders campaign so far, which goes to show that the Vermont senator has a very broad base of small donor support. Yet, when the full picture of presidential fundraising is taken into account, this only bolsters Sanders' case that the super wealthy have too much influence on our electoral system. Because when outside groups that can accept huge donations are taken into account, Sanders is getting swamped. Looking at the campaign fundraising numbers released so far, Sanders is near the front of the pack, trailing only Hillary Clinton. Sanders' $15 million haul, while far behind Hillary Clinton's $45 million, easily tops that of most Republican candidates. 
the only one who comes close to Sanders is Ted Cruz at 14.3 million. Jeb Bush during this period raised only 11.4 million, but there is a big caveat with Bush's total because Jeb Bush waited much later in the cycle to announce his candidacy for president of the United States. It's widely rumored or regarded that one of the major reasons Jeb waited so long to announce his candidacy was so he could continue to participate in fundraisers for huge super PACs and the big super PAC that is supporting Jeb Bush is called right to rise. And that super PAC was able to raise over a hundred million dollars in this time frame. A number of the other candidates have super PACs, which have had various levels of success. Bernie Sanders does not have, does not want, and has spoken against super PACs, which are allowed to raise unlimited amounts of money and allowed to spend those in support or opposition of candidates. One of the few rules and regulations on those super PACs is that they cannot coordinate their efforts directly with any candidate. But as the largest of these super PACs are run by friends and allies of the candidates, it is very clear that those work, while not being directed by the campaign, they definitely work where and when and how they feel the campaign will most benefit from their positions and their services and their expenditure of giant sums of money. So as I spoke of at the beginning of the show, Bernie continues to have very, very large turnouts at his events around the country. He plans town hall meetings his his whole campaign to this point has been designed around a series of town hall meetings which normally are much smaller affairs and many times sanders has had to look for very large venues to replace his town hall meetings with what what appear as giant rallies um, when the RSVPs for those events come back in the thousands. So on one such event in Maine, Sanders had a very, very large crowd. And this story's on commondreams.org by Craig Brown. How does Bernie Sanders turn out in Maine compared to other Democratic rallies? It was epic. Maine is a small state, 1.3 million. Its largest city is Portland with a population of 66,000. Maine is one of the few states where presidential national delegates are chosen at local caucuses. 
The main Democratic presidential caucuses will be held on March 6, 2016, eight months from now, and the general election is still 16 months away. On July 6, Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders brought his surging campaign to the Cross Insurance Arena in downtown Portland, Maine. The Sanders campaign originally booked Portland's Ocean Gateway, a venue that holds about 800 people standing. Soon, thousands of RSVPs were pouring in and the event was moved to the much larger Cross Insurance Arena. The Cross Arena is Maine's largest concert venue, seating up to 9,500. Bernie packed the house. The Bangor Daily News reported, The 2016 election may be 16 months away, but you wouldn't know it from the thousands of people who turned out Monday evening to cheer on Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders at the Cross Insurance Arena in Portland. What was scheduled as a town hall forum had become a full-blown rally by Monday night. Sanders' speech was delayed by 20 minutes as organizers let in the throngs of people still awaiting entry. Estimates pegged the crowd at 8,000 to 9,000 people. Main political circles are still buzzing about the gathering, not just the size of the audience, but the crowd's youthful energy and intensity. It was epic. No one we spoke with could remember a recent Maine Democratic rally that could compare. We decided to do some research and found that all the large rallies over the past 25 years were either for sitting U.S. presidents or just before general elections or presidential caucuses. Here's what we found. The biggest Democratic rally in Maine's history appears to be the 1960 Election Eve visit to Lewiston by candidate John F. Kennedy on November 6 and 7, 1960. The Lewiston Evening Journal reported that 14,000 came out for the scheduled 9 p.m. speech and that 8,000 remained when Kennedy arrived at the rally just before midnight. And this story goes on to kind of do a countdown of the next top 10 political rallies held in Maine over the last 25 years. Bill Clinton had a rally that had somewhere from 7,000 to 10,000, depending on whose estimates were more accurate. And that was one month before the 1996 general election when Clinton, sitting president, was running for re-election. Barack Obama had 6,700 the day before the 2008 Maine Democratic presidential caucuses. And the rallies go down in size from there to 4,000 and below. So the number of people that Bernie Sanders drew in Maine is 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 pretty much unprecedented based on the timing of Sanders' event being so far away from the actual caucuses and so far away from the general election. From the WashingtonPost.com by Jim Tankersley. There are very few unspoken rules among major party candidates for president, and Bernie Sanders is breaking one of them. He's saying that America's leaders shouldn't worry so much about economic growth if that growth serves to enrich only the wealthiest Americans. 
quote, our economic goals have to be redistributing a significant amount of wealth back from the top 1%, Sanders said in a recent interview, even if that redistribution slows the economy overall. Quote, unchecked growth, especially when 99% of all new income goes to the top 1% is absurd, he said. Where we've got to move is not growth for the sake of growth, but we've got to move to a society that provides a high quality of life for all our people. In other words, if people have health care as a right, as do the people of every other major country, then there's less worry about growth. If people have educational opportunity and their kids can go to college and they have child care, then there's less worry about growth for the sake of growth. And I think that Sanders is making a important point here. Political observers say his growth stance is a break from the past and a reflection of the nation's changing economic politics. Quote, even FDR wouldn't have said that in the depths of the depression, said Rick Ritter, a Denver-based political consultant who has worked on several Democratic presidential campaigns stretching, stretching back decades. But he added, quote, it's not as dangerous to say as it might have been in the 70s or in the 60s right now because income inequality is so great and growing. So as many of the stands that Bernie takes are, this This really hits one of the key elements of our current economy right on the head. After the recession, there were when the recession was officially over for a year or more, more than 100% of the growth in income went to the top 1%, meaning that the bottom 99% continued to decline in income while every bit of new income plus went to the top 1%. So simply the fact that the economy is growing does not tell you the whole picture. And Bernie understands that and is fighting hard to turn some of that around and benefit the majority of the country. So thank you very much for listening to Bernie 2016. You can find out more about Bernie 2016 at Bernie-2016.com. And you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com. Once again, you can check out the website. You can follow me on Flipboard. Or follow a link to my Flipboard magazine from the website. Thanks for listening. I want to tax billionaires so bleeping bad. I would make them pay their fair share. Wanna be on the cover of Nation Magazine Smiling next to Obama and Hillary Whoa, cause every
tax billionaires so bleeping bad. Thanks, I'm James Rustad, playing the role of Bernie Sanders, and I want to talk tax billionaires so bleeping bad. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at James Rustad Song. Like me on Facebook, James Rustad Music. And uh, click below to subscribe to my YouTube. And uh, make sure to go to jamesrustad.com. Feel the burn, baby.